1: Is it possible to be a successful leader and a compassionate human being? Today's guest, Jim Blake, says not only is it possible, but it's the key to effective leadership. In his book, The Zen Executive, Jim creates a blueprint for enlightened leadership. He draws from ancient teachings to help us achieve personal and professional goals, overcome challenges, and take risks. Jim is the CEO of a 130-year-old global nonprofit and author of the book, The Zen Executive, Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you.
1: Jim, integrating spiritual principles with executive leadership principles is probably more important today than ever before. Would you agree that what we're experiencing in the world, that that this is really a good approach to achieving what we want to achieve?
0: Actually, I do. And there's numerous reasons that I feel that way. But, But primarily, just as you alluded to, the sort of state of the world Produces So much anxiety and stress uh, for the typical individual that one of the ways leaders can have a tremendous influence is by removing that sort of stress and anxiety from the workplace. And you do that through compassionate leadership. You do that through being a supportive leader, creating an environment where uh, associates can flourish, they can relax, they can feel heard, they have a sense of engagement. Because I think, as we all know, many of us who have uh, worked in the workplace, when you have the opposite experience of that, it doesn't just, you don't just leave it at the office at 5 o'clock. you often carry it home. It impacts how you interact with your family, your pets, your friends. Um, I, I, uh, I hearken back to a time when I had a particularly difficult boss, and I was on call a lot on the weekend. I came up through information technology, so there was a lot of weekend call work. And I can remember every time I would see that name and number come up, I would have a physical reaction. Um, and and it's those kinds of things that just contribute, um, to, you know, stress and anxiety and so forth. So leaders today really have a a tremendous opportunity to break that cycle and provide a space where people, um, don't have to carry so much stress and anxiety.
1: I can relate to what you're saying. I I think my career, I kind of came up with, you have to be that tough manager, that leader that, you know, cracks the whip in order to get any type of result from your employee. And I can remember starting out doing public relations for a Fortune 500 company, and I had the same feelings that you did. I would get calls on a Sunday that the CEO wanted to work on a speech, and we would all have to go in. And it it just wasn't pleasant to be a part of that. And and so I I think what you're saying about bringing compassion and self-care and understanding that your employees need self-care as well, I think that's so important.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think the the part that seems counterintuitive, due to the Western, you know, the decades of Western culture, philosophy on leadership, which you alluded to, it's counterintuitive to suggest that I could have uh, our associates have fun at work, that I could treat them with kindness, that I could be understanding, that life happens, and that they may be late or they may miss a deadline. But the truth is, when you do these things, you're actually creating a space for your associates to be more productive. If you just look at it logically. Which do we think is more productive, an associate that is constantly being yelled at, is stressed out and anxious when they're at work, afraid to make a mistake, fearful to take a risk, or someone who feels appreciated, heard, supported, um, feels like it's okay to have fun at work as long as they they get their tasks done on time. So it really seems sort of logical, but we sort of missed the point here in the West in terms of the connection between a person's well-being and their performance.
1: When did you learn all of this? You've been a boss for many years. Was there ever a time when you didn't practice this? When did you have that aha moment?
0: Oh my goodness, Joan! Um, I actually probably owe a lot of people an apology from early on in my leadership. <laughs> I mean, I was not—I uh, was not a conscious leader. Um, I fell right into the the same traps of leadership. I was taught by those who had hierarchical mindsets and thought that being a boss was telling people what to do and demanding this and demanding that. So certainly early in my career, um, I I did not experience this. But it was really – and it wasn't any particular aha moment. It happened over time. But I will say maybe it was an aha experience. I had a particularly difficult uh, experience with one particular boss who was very demanding, um, very critical, Uh, intolerable of mistakes, and and it just really, really impacted me uh, inside and outside of work. And I really began to notice just how much of an impact it was having on my personal life. And so it was sort of at that point when I made the decision that there has to be a better way, and I am never, ever going to be this kind of boss. And so how can I cultivate a philosophy and a leadership style that does the opposite of what I'm experiencing right now and actually nurtures and uplifts people because I think that will have much greater results. And so I just began to develop techniques and tools and read and study and, and compile all of these things together that I think do just that. Uh, And so far it has been very successful.
1: You write a lot about a mission statement. What does this statement look like?
0: Yeah. So this is really important. And I know, um, you know, All companies have mission statements and lots of uh, individuals like to write their mission statements. But what I've learned over time with experience is they can be really compelling and can actually become sort of a guiding principle uh, that sort of informs your decision making and sort of uh, your why, if you will, whether it's an organization or an individual. And so the more that the mission statement itself comes from sort of where you are today, what do you represent today, what are you in the world? And what is your purpose? Um, And if you can then make it short and compelling. So in an organization, you want as many people to be able to connect to it as possible. So we we always develop mission statements now from the ground up, getting everyone's input. Because the more it actually connects to who you are as an organization and the individual people that serve there, the more likely they are to remember it, abide by it, and sort of have it become a part of their purpose. And so short, compelling, meaningful, really meaningful to, to everyone who is behind us, what ends up happening is that you end up with sort of a collective affirmation, if you will. It goes beyond just a mission statement and sort of becomes this thing that is bigger than all of us, but something we're all connected to and striving for. And so um, there have been cases like here where the mission statement we have is really, like I said, a sort of a guiding touchstone. Whenever we're considering new business opportunities or endeavors, the first thing we do is go back and say, does this connect to our mission statement? Does it support why we're here and why we're doing what we're doing? And so short, again, compelling, connected to as many people as you can, and you end up with this sort of collective consciousness and energy that's all moving in the same direction behind something that's really inspirational and not necessarily aspirational.
1: Yeah, it's, it's making that switch from the old style of a dictatorship to more of a collaboration.
0: Yes, indeed.
1: So for someone who's listening to us right now, and he or she is an employee, and you know, we're talking about the leaders and, and the things that they should be bringing to that role. If, if an employee doesn't have a boss who subscribes to the things that we're discussing here, how can that person navigate the environment that he or she may find himself in?
0: Well, there's a lot in the book about just that, and it it has a lot to do with your your individual posture, so your inner posture in terms of your thoughts and emotions and how you manage those um, and how those can help translate to what you're experiencing. So that's one thing. And then secondly, at any point in time where you can find um, courses, techniques, um, or offerings on some of the things we talk about in the book, and just bring those to the table at work Um, because, you know, bosses aren't necessarily going to do this work themselves. Um, Leaders aren't the ones that uh, are not already on the path. And so a way you can sort of bring it in is to say, hey, I stumbled across this. I think it would be great for the team. Is there any way we could have this person come in or we could attend this webinar together or things of that nature? So you're subtly bringing it in as something for the overall team and you hope that, what is presented will rub off on not only the leader but also the other associates on the team but in terms of your ability to navigate a a more corporate um, structure that doesn't sort of hold to these values it really becomes about your own self-care and so the state of your thoughts and emotions and how those can support you and we talk a lot about those things in the book and some of the techniques you can use uh, to help navigate uh, a space like that.
1: And so it really boils down to that every one of us has the opportunity to be a leader, and we lead by example. And so whether our boss is implementing any of these strategies, we each can because we're going to, as you said, rub off on the people around us.
0: That's a great observation and really an important point uh, because long before I, I came to the role I'm in now, I was in that spot. I was in a, corp- a corporate world that was largely hierarchical in leadership and um, and, of course, very demanding and always wanting more and more. And, and, and the business was always held above the associates that were serving. And so I became a different kind of leader. And I began to lead my teams in my particular way. And I began to do my work in a particular way and interact with people in a particular way. That suited sort of my belief system for how I wanted to be in the world. What that led to is I didn't always fit in. Uh, the good news is it got results. And so, um, there, I, you know, people made fun of me and talked about my, my Zen style, which is sort of a, the ty- why the title of the book is what it is. Um, and in some cases, uh, I didn't necessarily fit in with uh, the rest of the leadership group. But uh, the people I served with and, of course, me were much happier, uh, much more productive and uh, successful in what we were doing.
1: And your book is called The Zen Executive, but these are things that any one of us can implement in all areas of our lives.
0: That is exactly correct. Um, It's really about, uh, like I said, the whole first section of the book is really about that. It's really about how to align yourself to go about being in this world in a different way. So there are all kinds of tools and tips and techniques for for self-care, for how to align your consciousness, and, and really focus on getting yourself healthy because whether you're a leader in a leadership position or an individual the more you can align yourself with healthy practices uh the you're gonna healthier you're going to be overall so it begins with that and then the, the remainder of the book is focused on how now that I've sort of got my house in order what kind of leaders how can I apply this to leadership and the teams that I serve with
1: Jim would you share one or two of your favorite techniques from the book <clears throat>
0: sure I think uh there's a whole practice around really understanding how your thoughts and emotions impact your experience of the world and i often refer to this as sort of the the inner posture but it's sort of um it's beginning to understand that you are not your thoughts so every single one of us have this voice in our heads that is constantly chattering <laughs> and sometimes we spiral down rabbit holes uh, around fear anxiety and so forth and so it's really beginning to understand okay I am not my thoughts. I can be the observer of these thoughts. I can notice the thoughts that I'm having, and then I can create some practices to sort of shift them or change them. So if I notice am spiraling in fear about an upcoming meeting or an upcoming thing, I can choose to notice that and then create some affirmations, um, which are just positive statements about what I want to be, uh, that, give, that occupy the mind and, and stop the spiral of, of negative thinking, if you will. So really understanding how thoughts and emotions impact uh, not only your inner state, but also how you experience the world. So I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more. If you have a belief uh, that you are just unlucky in life, mm-hmm. then you sort of create this flame uh, and lens of how you see the world. And so everything you see that happens that is may or may not be even just a little bit bad, you attribute that to being unlucky. And because you've set yourself up that way, you're never open to the possibility or you never really see the things around you or the opportunities that may pop up that would be the opposite of that. So you just continue, you've you've drawn a conclusion and you just continue to gather evidence to support that conclusion. And so just that mental framework, you lose the capacity to see other opportunities that might be there that might be something different than you being unlucky. And so that's how our mental, just simple decisions and belief systems we have about ourselves and, and uh, our experience of the world continue to impact future experiences. I hope that makes sense.
1: It does. And, and, you know, that's such a great example because that's probably, I believe, one of the biggest things that keeps us stuck because we have that belief that we're a victim or we're unlucky or things don't work out for us. And then we set out to see the world that way. We look for the things to confirm what we already believe. And you're right, we never step outside of that belief system. So I think if people just follow that one piece of advice, they will see major changes in their lives.
0: 100% agree. And then the second one I would share is just to find some sort of practice that allows you to still the mind. Uh, for me, it's meditation. I, I have great success with meditation. I'm not, you know, three hours long or anything like that, just 10 to 15 minutes a day. But Something that actually fills the mind that allows you to sort of create some space between you and that that constantly chattering mind that I talk about. Some people take walks. Some people garden. Artists like to do their art. So it doesn't really matter what it is. It's something that sort of gets you out of your head uh, and, and creates some space because it's in that space where intuition can come in, where guidance can come in, where you can have aha moments. But if you're just constantly spiraling in the chattering mind you create no space for inspiration or intuition and so whatever that practice looks like for you uh, i would say try to find that and again you will then begin to really be surprised at the coincidences that show up at the ideas you have at the aha moments that start to happen more frequently it's really an important practice to, to help us get some space and create an opportunity for growth
1: Yeah, and I think creating that space is really important because there are so many things that are being thrown at us these days, financial instability, um, the economy, a pandemic, we have all of these things that seem so out of our control. However, like you said, when we create that space, you then can have some creative thinking, you can navigate these challenges more effectively. And so I think that really is a, um, a great point, especially for what we're facing in today's world. 100% agree. If you could leave our listeners with any piece of advice, what would that be?
0: I would say um, find books, resources, whatever you can. I'll tell you this. The most profound change for me, the most profound transformation for me of all the things I talk about is self-acceptance and self-worth. Work on those two things. Uh, we are all so hard on ourselves and such critics of everything uh, in our experience. And it makes it really difficult to see the unlimited potential that we may have or see even the smallest potential we may have because we have this struggle in terms of our own self-worth and our own self-acceptance. And there's this societal pressure to conform Uh, at all times and in all things, and to worry so much about what they think. Um, And so my invitation is to really begin to explore that, really begin to explore within yourself where you may be feeling pressure to conform to this, that, or the other, to behave a certain way, to have a certain job, to dress a particular way, because each and every one of us are unique and individual expressions that uh, will only occur once in the universe. And the idea is to be authentic in that individual expression. In fact, I would argue that's your superpower, is your unique presence and your unique gifts in the world no one else has. And so figuring, getting to a place where you can be at peace with that and begin to express that authentically really changes everything. Uh, it, It really opens you up to... I'm going to go so far as to say, you begin you begin, once you have those things in place, where you're really beginning to accept yourself as you are, and you really believe that you are worthy, um, you'll begin to start to get a lot of clarity about what your purpose is and direction or where you want to be, and you'll start to feel good about that. And it may not conform to your friends or your family's ideas, but you'll be way happier. and you sort of align, I guess I would say, with the universal energy. Um, it aligns with you when you are authentically you. And so coincidences happen and, and the right place and the right time experiences happen a lot more. Meeting the right people happen a lot more. It, it's when we try to be something we're not that we sort of struggle against uh, the energy that, that we came here to bring each of us individually. Does that make sense?
1: It doesn't. And, you know, there's one point that I I was wrapping up, but there is a point that I want to bring up that you mentioned. You were talking about the way we feel about ourselves. Do you think, in addition to the old philosophy of how we think a leader should be, do you think the people that are the toughest leaders and not in a good way, the people that really crack down on their employees and run a tight ship, so to speak. Do you think it's because those people really are not comfortable with who they are? They have a lack of self-esteem. Do you think that's how it manifests?
0: I think it can, for sure. I, I, would, I, would, I would argue much as you're saying that a good portion of uh, poor leaders is based on ego um, and something that is missing in them. And so they are exerting, they are exerting the only power and authority that they can and they're doing it in a not-so-positive way. The sad part is they could do that in a much more positive way that really impacts and changes lives. I would also say, though, that some folks are just ignorant, meaning, Mm -hmm. and when I say ignorant, I don't mean in a really bad way. I mean they just haven't been taught that there's a different way. They were brought up in a particular school of leadership. This is the way they were led. It's the way they've been taught to lead. It's the way they've always led, and they haven't had any access to sort of any of the new practices and approaches. And, you know, I I think there's at least a small portion of leaders that given um, some of the techniques and tools that are out there would change, and and especially once they began to see the results and how it can often be more effective than what they're doing today.
1: And you can get those tools in Jim's book, The Zen Executive, Gems of Wisdom for Enlightened Leadership. If you'd like to learn more about Jim and his work, you can visit Blake. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. I have really enjoyed this conversation.
0: It was truly my pleasure. And thank you again so much for the honor and privilege to be with you. And congratulations on all of your success.
1: Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now.